This is our weekly microphone brunch. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like like Nixon. I like to record all my brunches. I'm just going to trick people into making content for me by inviting them for a weekly microphone brunch. Oh, no. The the mics that are everywhere, ignore them. Be your sparkling mm, selves. I just collect microphones and keep them on. Do you reckon this is what they say when they do those like fake shake exposés? Like, don't mind all the microphones. That's just my large microphone collection. Please continue telling me about the crime. (laughs) Hey, do you want to be moderately prominent on Twitter? (laughs) Do I? Oh, no. This is not a lapel mic. It's just a brooch (laughs) that's shaped like a lapel mic. (laughs) (laughs) I wear it to remind me of my many years as a fake expose undercover reporter, (laughs) which I don't do anymore. have alex hearn back with us yeah i'm here i'm not gonna be no platform by a broken mic a second time <laughs> the snowflake microphone couldn't no. handle your the realness you were dropping and we also have uh, olga and milo coming at us from variously different places milo you have an anecdote i do this is just a bit of news from russia which i greatly enjoyed this morning um because you know, in recent in recent months, we've all heard a lot about you know the the dark and staggering high tech competency of the Russian deep state, which is busy interfering in international elections. Well, today some some great Russian technology has been released uh, because the Russian Postal Service uh, try- <laughs> did their first delivery of a parcel by drone, and they li- they invited all of the press to watch the drone take off with the parcel. And within five seconds of takeoff, it crashed at full speed into an apartment yes. building. <laughs> that was it was delivering it to that apartment. <laughs> Everything went according to plan. I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, did you even know that they'd ordered the parcel? Did, was did you bomb. even know that they'd ordered drone rubble? <laughs> it's the hottest gift. Check your facts before pronouncing fake news. <laughs> it's amazing. He'd barely he'd barely even clicked checkout on broken pieces of drone. <laughs> When they came crashing through the window. That's what I call Amazon Prime. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Um, so, uh, why don't we just jump straight the fuck in? Uh, why, don't we, why don't we start off with, um, with an easy one? Then let's start off with an easy one. We got Uber and Tesla. Then we'll ramp up to Facebook. And then we'll gently slide down into Niall Ferguson's pudding brain. So, where he- wait, the easy one is corporate manslaughter. <laughs> Allegedly, potentially. That's the that's the mellow trash future. (laughs) Trash future. It gets all smooth and sexy. (laughs) Trash future after dark. (laughs) So I'm gonna I'm just gonna start. Uh, One one thing came out recently is uh, famously a guy strapped for cash, um, Elon Musk, uh, has asked the Model Three factory workers uh, to volunteer (laughs) over the weekend. Uh, to pitch in and build, um, instead of houses for homeless people, Teslas for people with lots of homes. Help a brother out. <laughs> Strap for cash. Yeah. Like, he, you know, it's it's really nice of him to give such a fresh example to his workers of why they should push for unionization. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, like, less than two weeks after going, oh, you know, I don't think Tesla's right for a union. We're a modern workforce. Unions are uh, old and they, and they uh, inhibit innovation. Also, work for free. Yeah. Work for free with no uh, recourse. Like, that, yeah. that. Please do that now. Well, to be fair, he wasn't saying that they'd work for completely free. Uh, oh, my he, God. Uh, orange BuzzFeed beanies. I mean, that would have been cool. <laughs> Points. No, they, um, <laughs> quote, Tesla, I'm, I'm reading from a Bloomberg technology article right here. Tesla oh God, Incorporated. I'm fully hard. <laughs> <laughs> Tesla, I'm fully stashed <laughs> up. <laughs> Tesla Incorporated um, exhorted its factory workers to prove wrong the, quote, haters betting against and short-selling the company and is letting a small number of volunteers join the effort to ramp up... Letting, letting, letting. (laughs) Letting. Ah, hell yeah. Post that shit on my LinkedIn timeline, bitch. (laughs) It's it's like, you want to rise and grind, right? Absolutely. Grind the poor into the The dust. The Model 3 is uh, shit. Like, it's it's a garbage car by by all accounts. It was their attempt to build this this cheap, uh, cheap uh, all-market car... And it's just gone wrong in every single way. Uh, anyone, I, 
I know jack all about cars. I can't drive. I never have. But everyone who knows a cars who has touched one of these things says it, it feels like feels like a piece of junk. Apparently, because Elon Musk being Elon Musk went, yeah, I want I want robots just everywhere. Just fill my production line with robots. And it turns out that there's a reason why much bigger, much more experienced car companies like BMW and Ford don't use all robots, which is robots kind of suck. And the, the Tesla the Tesla Model 3 is a really good example of why you don't put too many robots in a thing. You have issues like... It's the Homemobile. <laughs> <laughs> That's the Model X. The Model X is the Homemobile. The, the one where Elon Musk was like, yeah, I want gullwing doors. And everyone went, don't they kill everyone? He was like, I want gullwing doors. They're known as suicide. <laughs> gullwing doors. They were good enough for Doc Brown in that documentary, Back to the Future, and they're good enough for you. And this, then, this is little, literally... <laughs> I'm just imagining in the future when the Model X becomes self-driving and people of Silicon Valley are being terrorized by Model Xs swooping down <laughs> and stealing their chips. Wait, them to sorry, the Model sorry, can, can we just pause? Milo, you're under the impression that a gullwing door is literally a wing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just deeply facetious. <laughs> just the Tesla Model X swooping on its gullwings. I like it. Like, yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm not honestly clear that Elon Musk doesn't know that. Well, it's like the problem with Elon. I mean, the problem with possible. Elon Musk is that like only like two percent of the world is INTJs, right? And so his workers like they just don't get INTJ intensity. And so when he like you know does the INTJ stare, you know the INTJ death stare, famous thing that people do uh, at at the at the haters who are causing his shares to fall more than twenty two percent this month in New York owned. <laughs> um, uh, his the only thing. That isn't falling is any woman for him. Oh, it's true. He, Which is very is it, you know, he's an NJ incel. Girls are intimidated by his intelligence, probably. Right. <laughs> also, if he wait, if if he has all these robots, why can't they just work for the weekend? <laughs> Alex, you, you were saying <laughs> his robots are better unionized than his people. Obviously, hey! that's why he's been investing so much in AI. <laughs> so, is, is it just that robots kind of just actually suck at this work? when they're so, not augmented by humans? The, like, the, the serious answer is that uh, the problem with robots is, say you have um, a robot drilling a hole. You have, you have two options with that. You have either a person uh, who then screws the next thing into the hole that the robot drills, gets to see how misaligned it is, gets to screw it in until it feels right, gets to, if they put it in wrongly for the first time, you know, you can feel it. But robot, robots are bad at that. Like, it's really the sort of thing that you or I do instinctively when we are screwing something into a hole. A robot can't. A robot, a assembly line robot is very much geared to put the screw in the hole, turn it 43 times and remove. And if it fucks up with that, it doesn't notice, or at least making it notice is a really hard advanced problem for a high-speed manufacturing line. So what you're getting is these issues. Sounds like complaints I've had from my ex-girlfriends. <laughs> you're making it too easy, man. But these issues, like, these issues aren't being caught until way down the line, by which point it's far too late to, to fix that, to go back and unscrew everything and go to the one screw that that robot put in. So you're getting just what looks like shit manufacturing quality and isn't actually any quicker or more efficient at building the cars as well. Maybe it will pan out in the future, but it, you know, it doesn't look like it. I just really yeah, want... Yeah, instead of robots being bad at it, the, the rumor on the street is that women can't come. <laughs> I just really want Musk to fail. Like... <laughs> well, I mean, I, what I, and again, this isn't, unfortunately, some of the other choice quotes from this email I have aren't, aren't from Musk. They're from this guy, Field. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the tumble in the share price being driven by short sellers, uh, Field What's says... What's the publication again? Uh, Bloomberg Technology. <gasps> <laughs> Seems like I learned how to do it. <laughs> Check and mate every ex-girlfriend. <laughs> um, Field says, I find this personally insulting, and you should too. Let's make them regret ever betting against us. You will prove a bunch of haters wrong. Who's they? Um, people who think that people should be paid for work? Uh, well, it's the, the short sellers. The people who think that, you know, basically... People who think the Tesla is shit and doomed to fail. Yeah. <laughs> because it's if you are the a non-unionized worker, think we being, won't go as far as slavery. Let's prove them wrong. If you're a non-unionized worker being disrupted by robots, and the short sellers think that that's not going to work, you should prove them right, wrong. Right. The logic just doesn't really work out here. Like, well, it's the it's the whole it, which is the um. I love it, but also it didn't Tesla uh, didn't Elon Musk put the time constraints on himself? Yeah. Which is like, this, I'm this, gonna do it like that. And then he's like, fuck. This I was a can't. promise he made <laughs> with no no reason, no Nobody necessity. asked him for, for that time frame. Well, That's the, the silly funny it, thing. It's what 
Elon Musk dancing down the street to the tune of "This is how we do it" and going straight. Into <laughs> <the post. laughs> well, it's that it's that this is this is basically. I think what what we get here, what this tells us, is that you know I think a lot of the time, like neoliberal capitalism likes to likes us to have this great man theory of technological achievement, where Elon Musk is kind of responsible for the Nietzschean act of wresting this wonderful thing and all of its value and this, and all of the great things it'll do for us and be rich and whatever out of kind of thin air as an act of will. What I'd like to propose as an alternative uh, is the Wiley Coyote theory of technological <laughs> development, where using a massively over-elaborate um, sort of scheme, uh, you basically manage to routinely publicly embarrass yourself while you go after what would be basically a very achievable target, you know, if you would perhaps recognize and fairly compensate all the people working for you. Uh, Field uh, ends his memo. We set high goals at Tesla, but I know we can do this, Field wrote. If we keep climbing from 300 through the end of this week, it will be an incredible victory. Your friends and family will hear about it in the news. Oh. Which is cool because you can spend that. <laughs> you, you won't see them for the foreseeable future because you'll be so working okay, so 24 hours a day. This makes a promise on your behalf and then it's your responsibility for free to make that promise happen. Yes, that's why, because it, they're an inspiring family, didn't you see? It's there, they're pulling together to do it so Elon Musk can, I think, send more cars to Mars. This is like a, this is like a basis for a very bad Disney Channel original movie. I mean, the other thing about the Wiley Coyote approach to capitalism is that Elon Musk ran off the cliff like three beats ago and it's just <laughs> when he looks down that it's gonna hurt. Yeah, so that's, uh, that's, that's, that's the Tesla update. Uh, that's the, that's the, basically the weekly Tesla update. Are we ready to um, take a hard left turn into the world of the much darker world of Uber? Oh boy. Yeah, so we talked about oh, like, yeah. we talked about this on uh, last week, but then we were no platformed by too hot for TV. Our, we were too, we were Babe Station Extreme. <laughs> 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 like waving a Nokia thirty three ten around sexily. <laughs> Alex Hearn was in this in the studio wearing wearing a th wearing a thong. And if you want to see more, just text. <laughs> Kiss. I think that I think that Babe Station must literally have the world's largest collection of remaining Nokia 3310s. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only place I've ever seen one in the last about like, 10 three years. years before the iPhone came out. They were like, let's just let's just buy our next 15 year supply now. Like, there's no way we, this won't be the leading mobile phone in a decade's time, right? What possible other situation could that be? We're going be? in hard on this. They're like the inverse of Tesla. They're like te technological regressivists, but very well unionized. <laughs> 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 yeah, I get aroused by just like women getting a fair wage and, <laughs> and running their own business. Ah, Babe Station Red. <laughs> short, short sellers are but taking I mean, aim like, at Babe many, Station. What, on what other channel do you see that many women on TV at the same time without men? <laughs> Panel shows, 8 out of 10 cats, eat me. Babe Station passes the Bechdel test. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Strong female character. <laughs> Hey, all I'm saying is support women in technology. I'm saying maybe, maybe, maybe uh, the next Disney princess should be Lacey Lorenzo. That's all I'm saying. I think when you know the names of the Babe Station stars, everyone else is like, oh. No, that's the problem. For some reason, a, a predictive search algorithm has decided that every time I open up Pornhub, that's going to be the first suggested okay. video. It's like a 25 minute long clip of this same person. I've never even watched it, but presumably. <laughs> I watch better porn. The <laughs> algorithms have your kink down, man. If, <laughs> if Riley ever went on Mastermind, his specialist subject would be like incredibly niche Marxist literature and porn. <laughs> you know, you know that that famous New York Times story of Target uh, discovering that a woman was pregnant before her own father yeah, yeah, knew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you, the algorithms know your kinks better than you. And one you day you're going to click on that video and you're going to come so hard because <laughs> everything about it is right for you. Just and Pornhub's. It's just lazy, lazy Lorenzo saying the Bloomberg Technology just, Report. Just watching her. No, but like it's my kink. I guess is maybe watching a woman play snake while not making it trying to look like she's not playing snake. <laughs> <laughs> they say that you know your formative years really generate your sexual identity, and you were at home alone watching Babe Station a lot when you were like fourteen. I couldn't have. It's a British show. I'm Canadian. <laughs> you spent a lot on the fees to rebroadcast it. <laughs> the time difference meant that they never got his sex message. <laughs> <laughs> what, so 
love that. Not rebroadcasting it live. Actually watching it eight hours back. <laughs> oh, God. You know how, like, all these companies did terrible April Fool's jokes? Yep. And then yesterday, Pornhub did one called Hornhub, and it's all just, like, horn instruments. And then, but I, but I opened it when I was like ready to masturbate and you have no idea how disappointing it is when you're all like, hell yeah, you open it and you're like, fuck, the whole website has been redone. They're all playing tuba and you don't know how to fucking exit out of it because the prank's so elaborate. It was so annoying. What if it? And that is when you went on Bloomberg.com. <laughs> well, it came a, immediately. Got, got a bust somehow. Busted. The thing is, if all of the developer time spent over the last month on April Slide Fool's jokes had been done something pee. useful, maybe Uber wouldn't have killed someone. <laughs> oh, yeah, we have to. We we this babe station. This babe station riff has been great, guys. But we got, we still got ground to cover. Um, so Uber, uh, Uber, uh, Uber seems to have been involved in the, the a lady dying a couple weeks ago. Hmm. Because of AI being more than just... What was the... There was someone who did a tweet, right? Where it's marketing materials, artificial intelligence, internal memo, regression analysis. No, internal internal memo, machine learning, actual execution, regressions. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's it's all... It's all just numbers, really. (gasps) It's all just numbers. Holy shit. (laughs) I mean, if there's a phrase you don't want to use in that context, it's actual execution. Oh, Oh, damn it. What happened was... Facts. Um... An Uber self-driving car being tested in Alabama hit and killed a woman crossing the road. Uh, facts. The Uber safety driver, um, who was supposed to be uh, supervising the self-driving car, keeping her eyes on the road and her hands near the wheel. Sorry, I think it was Arizona. Yep, yeah, sorry. That was not the a good fact. good people of the Alabama, claimed- they're just <laughs> racist and hate abortion. <laughs> the things I claimed as facts were in fact lies. <laughs> there was a self-driving car in Alabama, but they torched it as witchcraft. <laughs> okay, let's start again. Facts. An Uber self-driving car uh, being tested on the streets of Arizona hit and killed a woman crossing the road. Um, facts. The safety driver who was hired by Uber to sit in the driver's seat of the car, keep her eyes on the road and her hands near the steering wheel, was, video evidence shows... Uh, looking down at her phone until seconds before the crash. Facts. The car did not appear to brake appreciably at all, despite the fact that it was using a LiDAR system, which should give it effectively the ability to see in the dark up to 50 meters away. Something went wrong, right? But uh, what what needs to be worked out now is what? The initial reports suggested that uh, the woman came out of nowhere, which you hear after effectively every car-related fatality ever, and it is very rarely true. And in this case, it wasn't true. She was hit on the furthest right lane of a four-lane highway while crossing from the left. So she very much didn't come out of nowhere. The way these cars are supposed to work, this should not have happened. Um, one, prob- one, one potential thing is Uber's self-driving car algorithm is shit. And Wait, did they develop their own? They didn't like, take they deve- they Google's develop- or anything? No, they developed their own. Uber is one of the companies which is developing its own okay. self-driving cars. Uh Google Waymo has its other one. It's partnering with Lyft. Um, but yeah, Uber effectively bought Carnegie Mellon's robotics department. Um, they they like they hired so many people from Carnegie Mellon in such a short time that its robotics department was essentially... Good school rejected me when I applied. Fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> its robotics department was essentially unstaffed for for quite a while. It, 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 was, it was actually quite a discussion in sort of academic AI circumstances of, oh shit, academia is having to compete with tech firms in a way that hasn't happened before generally tech firms were happy to partner and uber was coming along just going no like we want you in-house and we're going to pay you more than you can say no to but they fucked up like there there is there is essentially no question that they fucked up the the question now is whether whether that fuck up was something which was to a degree that they should be held liable for negligence or corporate manslaughter like this is this is what the uh, investigation is. Are they trying to make the woman, the the driver, responsible for it? Uh, so this is, this is the, the first thing that they will try and do is that yes, because this woman wasn't doing what she was supposed. Are to they going to hire an '80s stand-up comedian to make that case? Break it down for me. Uh, but about- <laughs> Riley, you you made a reference here that I don't get, <laughs> and you're going to have to stand drive by like this. I, I, was, I, was, I was indicating. Whereas Uber self-driving car supervisors drive like this. <laughs> right there, we go. It was more of a it was more of a women drivers thing. Oh wow. god. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Should we? Wow. <laughs> Moment of silence while we all stare at Riley. <laughs> she Nate, gets distracted Nate. by Bloomberg. 
I just couldn't stop busting. She was checking her Nokia <laughs> for text messages from eight hours away. A live Jasmine dash cam. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, everybody. Looking at videos hey, of sexy I'll do better. Um, but yeah, no, like, this is the problem, right? This, The safety driver was not being an effective safety driver. And in Uber's defense, in the tech industry's defense, they do not claim that self-driving cars can drive without a safety driver yet, except Waymo in its tests. Uh, which does claim that and does, in fact, put them out without a safety driver. Uber doesn't put cars out without a safety driver because, implicitly, Uber does not believe its cars are fully safe enough to drive without a human on backup. And the problem is, safety drivers don't work because it is essentially impossible for a human to sit and stare at the road for a working day, having no input, but being told that they need to be able to intervene with a split second's notice at any time and it is a life or death situation. That's not a thing that, that the human mind can do, right? If, if you get bored, you zone out. That's implicit. This is something that all of the self-driving car companies have known for years. I went to uh, then, then Google X, then X, then Waymo. I can't remember what corporate branding it had at the time I went to visit them, but I went to visit Google's uh, self-driving car thing. And they were saying they had at that point, and this was two and a half years ago, they had then already had three years of uh, experience finding that safety drivers do not work as safety drivers. If you put someone alone in a car and tell them that that car is going to drive itself, they let the car drive itself. Yeah, they'll check their phones. And they play games on their phones. They mm -hmm. want, like, Google put cameras in its own cars and its own employees in its own cars and said, we are watching you to gain data. Even in that situation, the Google employees still had naps in the cars, <laughs> right? Like, and these were not people doing it for eight hours a day. These were people doing it on commutes on highways. So even in the, the easiest situation for a safety driver to actually be an effective safety driver, highly paid Google engineers still were goofing off because that's what you do if you put someone in a car that drives itself. So yes, this woman wasn't doing her job, but her job is an impossible job. Mm -hmm. And it's a job that is vanishingly unlikely to be an effective uh, way of saving someone's life. And the problem is, the better a self-driving car gets, the less likely a safety driver is going to be to intervene. You know, if you need to intervene three or four times a day, you can probably do that. If you need to intervene three or four times an hour, you're effectively driving the car on cruise control. If you need to intervene once a month, the chances of you actually paying attention in that one time a month when you need to do it <laughs> at the risk of being a logic pedant this is basically just like um this is just like, like this is just um fallacy like it's baseline attribution fallacy right where it's just that if you if you only need to intervene when it's extremely severe and you're less likely to intervene the less the f less frequently it happens then all that's going to happen is that in, in that sort of severe, even though severe events might be averted more frequently, they're more likely to happen when they, they're more likely to get bad when they do yeah. pop up. Yeah. You know, so it, it, it seems as though really what's the point of self-driving cars at this stage? But the, so the, and the bigger problem is, uh, the problem that Uber has is that's all true, but Uber's self-driving cars are uniquely shit. <laughs> and, this, and, and this is the issue, right? This, this is the yeah. problem, the, the problem that Uber has is you can say we had a safety driver who was there and didn't do her job. And that is factually correct, even if her job was impossible. But all of the evidence before this uh, this accident, this crash, was that Uber's self-driving cars were significantly worse than the competitions. I am going to uh, fudge the facts because I don't have them in front of me, but it's something like Waymo's cars experienced a disengagement, which is when the car requires the human safety driver to take over. Waymo's experienced a disengagement on the order of one every million miles driven by, by the most recent uh, figures that have been filed with the California uh, state regulator. Ubers were on the order of one every hundred miles. Ubers were a thousand times worse than Waymo's. There are some defenses on that. Uber's cars were until recently being tested in San Francisco, which is a much harsher driving environment than Waymo's. Also, did the state of Arizona had to uh, give them permission to drive around? Yeah. I mean, so this is, this, you know, this is the, the next twist is that Arizona's governor has been extremely pro self-driving cars, uh, extremely pro Uber. He wants Arizona to be the test bed. And it's a very good test bed for self-driving cars, right? If you can crash in Arizona, you can crash anywhere. The problem is Uber's goal was transparently to carry on running its self-driving car program as a uh, competitive foil 
to get better terms when it eventually negotiates with Waymo or with one of the uh, major auto manufacturers to license in their tech. It It's so bad, it is it beggars belief that Uber actually intends to bring a self-driving car project to market, but it knows that if it can credibly go, well, we don't need to license your tech, we have our own, it'll get a better deal. And someone's paid you know the ultimate price for that. Someone, someone has died because Uber has carried on testing self-driving cars way past the point when it was clear that they weren't viable. To, like, to me, that was, again, raises just one of the fundamental objections, like, again, to the, lo- the logic of the market being anything reasonable, which is when you have sort of these large companies carrying on what is essentially then a large automated supply chain, whether that's of taxis or freight or whatever, um, then at some point, the cost of human life is just factored in as a cost of doing business. Hmm. So what? Ha- so you know, it's you have an ex- you have an acceptable acceptable rate of people sort of being being killed. You have an, an an acceptable rate, but of people being killed by an algorithm making a choice to do it that you sort of programmed in, which to me is sort of morally on a different level than uh, than an accident. Well, but and what you do is you engineer your business so that you understand that that will happen but don't need to take the responsibility for it and that's what the safety drivers are right that's uber builds its business around not needing to take ultimate responsibility for that because it can palm it off on this person who was doing an impossible job and even if there was no sort of safety driver so to speak if what how do you punish a company for killing someone if they're if if by sort of doing they're sort of if how do you if you how do you what i'm saying is like if let's hmm. just say one of these cars just makes makes a mistake or one of these cars sort of fucks up and then like plows through a fucking playground and like kills you know 10 people you know how how do you you sort of understand that as oh well we will pay a hefty fine but so the thing is i i actually i still have hope for self-driving cars in the abstract uh because some of these problems we've solved in planes right we this is not an abstract question for aviation uh dlr or the DLR, uh, or you know, a significant chunk of the underground, a growing chunk of the underground. Um, these are not abstract questions. One of the things that we've done is we've essentially said, okay, you need to have a one in one billion passenger trip fatality rate. One, you know, one passenger out of one billion is roughly seen as the acceptable rate for aviation. And that is that is kind of a societally accepted thing. But we still investigate every crash. But they are so rare that we kind of go, okay, you know what, this is this is inherent to the nature of risk. We have got the risk down to what we as a society see as an acceptable level. From like condoms. Tra- <laughs> you can still get pregnant. Well, it's no, true. no, no, I hate yeah. right? Like you don't, you do <laughs> not. 98% is fine. Yeah, you do not sue Jurex when your condom fails yeah. because you, Jurex, everyone involved understands that it is good for society that this thing which still has a risk is there. The problem with self-driving cars is we've not had that conversation because the uh, the promoters of progress hold that conversation up as uh, as one that only enemies of progress want, right? they The idea that anyone should turn around to Uber and go, your self-driving cars are a death trap and shouldn't be on the streets is seen as naysaying, as technological pessimism. And it's it's not, you know, it's perfectly reasonable to go, we wouldn't allow a plane that was a thousand times safer than your cars. We would not allow that plane to be in the skies. You know, we would scrap it as completely unfit for purpose. And it's not its not a big ask. Well, it is a big ask. It's a huge ask because self-driving cars are extremely hard. But it it's a baseline and it's a fair baseline. And it's its one that, I think it if I think works and it, you don't need to be completely uh self-driving cars are only a way for companies to abstract their responsibility you just need to have a society-wide a state level conversation about what that responsibility is and that's what we've avoided I think then in that case that we can't let them have their conversation of how much responsibility they want to abstract exactly we have to we have to sort of stop allowing governments to see themselves as the handmaids of these companies and instead start seeing themselves genuinely adversarially. Uber would like a situation in which it was deemed acceptable by society for its self-driving cars to, you know, be used across America and kill about one person a day. And Uber's argument would be, if that were the case, it would be fewer fatalities than there are at the hands of the taxi industry. Or guns. Or guns. You know, right, there are a lot of things that kill more than a person a day. Now, let's not start on the guns. We need those for when the self-driving cars come to kill us all. 
That's actually that's that's the solution, isn't it? You get self driving cars. No, you get self driving cars relitigated to be qualified as arms. <laughs> <laughs> and then it is every American's constitutional uh-huh. right to have a self driving car, no matter how dangerous it is. <laughs> Yeah, then they would actually be much easier to get hold of than they are now. We should talk a little bit about um, uh, Facebook and uh, Cambridge Analytica and why it's kind of a non-story and why it kind of is a story and why it's so confusing and why maybe it's not that important to find out which that 70s show character you are. <laughs> I mean, I vehemently disagree on the last part. <laughs> I, I know, you know what? I can't. I don't know that show well enough to continue that bit. I'm like, a Ashton bit Kutcher and a little bit of Jackie. I'm Ashton Kutcher. I'm not the character. Literally, the only person I know in that show is Ashton Kutcher. That show is brilliant. Mostly because of your relationship with Demi Moore. The only the only thing is though that now we know more about the seventies, we realise that all of those characters would have been molesting children. <laughs> <laughs> and in bits that are too hot for TV, it's Milo up. Go back to Babe Station, Edwards. <laughs> Um, I guess can yeah, you libel a fictional character? <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to get sued by Fez from that seventies show. <laughs> so Cambridge Analytica are wizards, <laughs> yeah. and they used our data to cast a spell that swung Brexit. Oh my god, dark, dark, evil, pink hair wizards. <laughs> yeah. Um. No. This is this is now one of those stories. Two weeks on, three. Two, yeah. Two weeks on from it breaking, where there is no short version of it, um, which is great. It's at least two separate stories, possibly three or four. The one I care about and the one that ultimately, uh, slightly ignoring my employers, I think will ultimately be the more important side of the story is Facebook. Um, the Facebook side of the story is for uh, at least seven years um, until 2015, Facebook had a uh, laughably lax attitude to uh, user data protection and would while technically arguing that you consented to it, would merrily hand over your data to effectively any third-party app developer that asked. Including a guy whose name was Dr. Spectre. Yep, yep. Appar- <laughs> apparently that was a that was wow. him changing his name after he got married, which I quite like. Like, oh. just marrying a Ms. Spectre and then going, oh, I'll change my name to he, yours, honey. It's, he, oh, no, well, this is a terrible idea. <laughs> well, it was, uh, it was, he married into a Bond <laughs> villain family. <laughs> In this household, we take exterminating all life on Earth very seriously. And if you can't sign up, I'm afraid you cannot be with my daughter. Honey. I didn't know Phil Spector got a PhD. I have told you not to come in here when I'm working on my space laser. Honey, who wants to come in and carve the spy? <laughs> um, but yeah, so like that, that side of the story is that Facebook was for at least seven years merrily giving your data to anyone who asked. I'm kicking everyone on the table. It's adorable. Um, <laughs> Facebook will give your data to anyone who asked. Uh, and it was it was all uh, an attempt of a very conscious attempt to build up a a third party uh, app ecosystem by you know the trade was you build stuff that sits on Facebook and we will give you unimaginable amounts of data like you build a cow clicker game where you click on cows and that is literally the entire game and you will get effectively all of the personal information of not only every user but every friend of every user. Uh, wh- what kind of information? I, I always wonder what this was. Like, what kinds of information would they really have? They'd have not just your likes, but they'd also have stuff you've typed. You'd have no, no. So, so, so those those are two different things. Facebook has that stuff. Facebook yeah. itself uh, will collect anything. So, Facebook has famously in the past collected stuff you typed but deleted before sending. Facebook has collected uh, videos that you shot using its in-app webcam service but decided not to post. Facebook uh, tries to work out, not your race, your racial affinity, uh, which is very, very legally important because you're not allowed to profile a significant number (laughs) of things by race. But hey, if you just go, this person really likes how high and rap, then you can discriminate against them with housing adverts. Um, so what it really is, it's like um, it's like the black, the blind, black, white supremacist Dave Chappelle sketch. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's that. There are, all, there are all these dads going, why do I keep getting advertised Gammon Facebook's products? Like, well, I didn't actually know they were black. I just went with every stereotype in the book and discriminated against them in housing through that. So it's fine. It's completely <laughs> legal. Um, but so Facebook has all of this. The, 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 the app ecosystem had less. Uh, effectively, all, all it had was the, uh, the public Facebook information. If, you, if I, as your friend, could see something on your Facebook profile... 
I, as your friend, could export that to a third-party app developer without checking with you whether that was okay. Um, you can also go and see your uh, ad preferences. Have you ever checked out yours? Uh, well, I mean, I'm I'm not really on Facebook. Oh, okay. Like, I have uh, I, I I have a Facebook account which is uh, which follows Mark Zuckerberg, and that's it because I love Mark. He's my best and only friend in the world. Uh, but even that, even that, uh, Facebook had six apps that had uploaded my email address to Facebook, so I was being targeted by. Airbnb, Uber, Deliveroo, uh, a couple of other ones. If you're targeted by Uber, that's a real cause for concern. I know, right? Um, (laughs) So that's one world. And that's having having these huge ramifications about... uh, It seems to finally be the thing that has made uh, people who aren't Richard Stallman or me care about the vast quantities of data that are being collected on us. And the reason why people are caring is who in this particular instance received that large amount of data, which was... uh, Evil Wizards, Cambridge Analytica. <laughs> and the next story is... But look, guys, I don't regret playing that cow, ki- cow clicking game. That shit was lit. <laughs> well, I mean, the cow clicking... Wild tangent, but the specific cow clicking game was made by, uh, at the time, NYU, I think, Professor Ian Bogost, who made this game to mock Farmville. And the game was, you have a cow, you can click on the cow every three minutes, and it says you clicked on the cow. Uh, and you can add friends and your friends can click on the cow and it says your friend clicked on a cow (laughs) this game got 150,000 players because at the time you could literally go viral with anything on Facebook and and you know he made this this was a classic example of satire not working because (laughs) turns out people will just click on cows this is like someone reading a modest proposal and starting a baby restaurant exactly right or it's yeah I, like many gamers, am immune to our <laughs> I'm a hardcore, hardcore day one cow clicker. <laughs> I like my favorite esport is cow clicker. <laughs> Sorry, so the problem was that cow, the cow clicking games kept getting reviewed by women who were biased. <laughs> too much politics in this cow clicking game. <laughs> Gamer Cowgate, that's an Edinburgh joke, everybody. <laughs> Just tell us objectively oh. if the graphics are good. Give us an objective. I think, I mean, objectively, the cow was over. Do the titties look good? Like, <laughs> why? Udders everywhere. <laughs> why did she need giant Jessica Rabbit hair and huge human boobs? <laughs> Glistening hentai style udders. <laughs> you can definitely get a Halloween costume which has precisely that, can't you? <laughs> if you have human boobs, oh, you get a, a cow- costume with udders. Yeah, you totally can. I now know what Hussein is doing at home. He's playing the cow clicking game. Now, we were saying <laughs> Evil Wizards Cambridge Analytica basically took your information harvested from you from playing a cow clicking game. I mean, it wasn't. It was from a personality quiz. It was from a personality quiz that people were paid to do. That like yep. uh, a few hundred thousand people were paid to do this this quiz, and in the process, they agreed to export their friends' data. So you got between thirty and eighty million Facebook profiles. I'm a bit of a hostage to fortune here because I um, I'm going to be. Uh, Interviewing Wiley next week, uh, Christopher Wiley, the, the Cambridge Analytica whistleblower. Not, not wearing my robe. Yeah, no, I'm going to be interviewing him next week uh, to try and get in detail specifically how this worked, what they did, uh, to, to break it down a bit more than, than any of the people who've spoken to him so far have, because I'm the nerd who cares about this shit and wants to dig down into it. So I'm a hostage fortune. Maybe I will come out the other side of that interview convinced. Right now, this, the, the position I'm at is that. Uh, uh, psychographics, this this general idea of building a psychological profile of someone which uh, builds on their publicly express publicly expressed preferences and desires, uh, builds a psychological model of them, and then creates messages which are designed to hit home with them. For me, all seems a bit hopeful. It seems a bit like the sort of thing which uh, definitely has strong academic roots that just get filtered through a far too many steps to end up in large claims that it you know it works on a on an actual level in terms of persuading actual people with actual adverts i'm not i don't fully buy that i don't really have a strong this is borne out by my attempts to seduce women on linkedin well because it's a little bit like like i sort of i sort of found myself saying it's a little bit like Cambridge Analytica, like they're just doing, they're taking all this information, they're targeting ads to you, but soap companies have been doing that. Unilever does that. Right. And well, actually, so I, I, I come at it from the opposite direction. I, I, my go-to thing is if this worked, if this worked as well as Cambridge Analytica and Wiley say it does, 
Amazon ads would be psychographically targeted. You know, Amazon is a huge data player with one of the largest advertising budgets on the planet. And yet basically all it does is retargeting. Literally the most effective way Amazon has found of converting uh, views into purchase intentions is by advertising you for things that you've already bought or nearly bought. But surely that's a little bit of what I imagine Cambridge Analytica must have been doing as well, right? Like if you like a Facebook page called Hillary for Prison, then you, they're going to target you with some pro-Trump ads and they're basically just serving you stuff you've bought before conceptually. Yeah, I mean, they they had, they like, like again, they like any election consultant had two main, three main goals, depressing turnout for the enemy, uh, increasing turnout for your own side and winning a certain number of swing voters over. And so, yeah, the, the Hillary for jail stuff, your job there is boosting turnout. And so, yeah, you, you know, you you are retargeting. You you already have your your selected group. The depressing turnout on others and the winning people round is perhaps a little less like retargeting. I don't know. Wiley says that there were genuinely impressive results. That aggregate IQ achieved a seven to eight percent not click through rate, uh, actively expressed intention. So signing up for a mailing list. That that tier of things. And if true, that is high. I'm not clear and I, I'm not sure I believe fully that that is high because of the data wizardry that Cambridge Analytica did. It, it, is, it is just as believable to me that Donald Trump was a unique candidate in the modern era who was very able to win people around because unlike any other Republican candidate in living memory, Donald Trump... He specializes in deals. <laughs> he, he really, he can just win you around with any deal. Like He's, he's, a, he's a master deal mate. That's, that's really bad, Donald Trump, isn't it? Um, <laughs> It's a it's a tremendous deal. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna do deals with the electorate that you've not even seen before. There's a there's a game now. You click on a cow. It tells you you clicked on the cow. Your friends can click on the cow. You send it to all your friends. I clicked on that cow. I sent it to all my friends. Okay, what's Hillary doing? I don't know. She's in that pizza restaurant. Nobody cares. Click on the cows. <laughs> but like it is that thing. If, if we're talking about retargeting, no other modern candidate in U.S. political history has kind of expressly in their main campaign back to the idea of sending their opponent to jail, which means it's much easier to retarget a Hillary for jail. Uh, someone who supports Hillary for jail can be retargeted by the Donald Trump campaign in a way no previous campaign could. So it's unsu- it, it is perhaps unsurprising to me that you could get a 7 or 8% actively expressed intention because you're the only person going to people who want to lock up Hillary Clinton and going, I too want to lock up Hillary Clinton. Like I, I express that as a normal, acceptable opinion to hold in a democratic race. I mean, like the opponent. idea of there being like a divergent group of people who will want to lock up Hillary Clinton for like different reasons, <laughs> just people with like personal grudges. <laughs> that, that message really spoke to them. What they've all forgotten is that it's far more likely that Hillary Clinton would like step on a rake, slip on a banana peel, then fall <laughs> into a closet that would lock itself behind her. Like everyone's a just closet forgotten. full of pantsuits. <laughs> so, but, th- but this is yeah. like that. That is the fundamental issue yeah. at the heart of a lot of this, right? A lot of people want Cambridge Analytica to be data wizards because it proves that Brexit or Trump were, were stolen. Yeah, more and Russia. It's more, it's, it's it's more, more Russian Russia. interference. It's, it's looking for a thing which stole the election. And the problem is, it can both be true that uh, in the UK, spending limits were broken unlawfully and that in the US, uh, unlawfully obtained data was used to target people and that if that hadn't happened, the outcome would perhaps have been largely the same because there were so many things in favor of Donald Trump's election and of the Leave campaign and winning Brexit that, mm. that, that just, you know, pointing to any one thing, it, it's, it's probably not just that. It's probably not just anything. Mm-hmm. You know, that's how elections work. But then at the same time, at the same time, there's a margin of what, 77,000 people in, in Trump's election. So any yeah. one thing could have been it. Well, it's the, I think the, when it, when it comes down to it, really, I mean, because if it wasn't Cambridge Analytica, like any reasonable election has data people. They do yeah. use data target. Like the only difference is, you know, Hillary Clinton's team was famously terrible at yeah, it. Yeah, and, and this is and this is the other awkward thing, right? You know, so the Obama campaign had largely the same data acquisition structure uh, in twenty twelve that Cambridge Analytica took advantage of for for Trump's election. The the Obama camp the only real distinction is that the Obama campaign acquired that data uh, above you know, in an overhand way. They they went to people and said, hey, we're the Obama campaign. You want us to be elected. Give us your data and give us your friend's data as well. And a lot of people said, yeah, I am happy to hand over my data and all my friend's data to the Obama campaign. 
Whereas Cambridge Analytica went, hey, we're uh, a personality quiz and we'll pay you a dollar to do the same thing. <laughs> Which does sound shadier, yeah. but probably isn't distinct enough to say that one election was stolen and the other wasn't. Well, it's surely the, the real bogeyman at this point. Or sorry, bogey person. I'm going to be Trudeau. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> Being Trudeau. Fuck you. Um, the, real, the real issue is, right, and I think this is something we touched on in the great episode that got eaten. Um, <laughs> the one where we were no platformed by our equipment. Uh, which is that really is is that is that it's easy to it's easy to point that finger towards just ah it's that thing's fault we don't have to deal with any underlying fractures in society but really it seems like the thing that we should be more worried about is just that there is a company whose business model is basically spying on us but in a way where we totally volunteer all the information yeah. they're trying to get out of us well so I think I'd say that's the other the other interesting quirk here is that it's kind of my big takeaway from this is it's put pay it's it's shown that lie up that actually we don't basically volunteer this information people have always known uh if you if you quiz them on it on an intellectual level they've always known that facebook is a data company like if almost everyone if you ask them like do you think facebook well the same reason when they found out about the nsa nobody really did anything right because like, eh, we kind of people intellectually knew anyway. it yeah but this is kind of the mm. first time i think that people have actually connected on on an emotional level with what that means, which is we, you know, nerds like me thought that people would just dislike the concept of data harvesting. And it turns out people don't give a shit about the concept of data harvesting. But when you connect that data harvesting to an outcome that people don't like, that's that's the thing that gets them to go, oh, actually, I could give a shit that Facebook is collecting my data. But when you start connecting it to Facebook connecting my data and doing stuff I don't like with it, then people start going, actually, I didn't really consent to that. And that, you know, the nice thing about data protection law is actually what data is collected for does matter. Mm. And what, we're, what Facebook is learning here is that you can't say to someone, you know, give me your likes and I'll give you a better news feed and then turn around and use your likes to help Donald Trump get elected. That's not how it works. So th I think it's really interesting <laughs> how Cambridge Analytica admitting to, like they kind of want to say that they're good at what they do, but saying that they're good at what they do is admitting to something they're, terrible. They're, they're so fucked. Like Cambridge <laughs> Analytica. Like or if they say we didn't do anything, that means they did a shitty job. And yeah, didn't. yeah. Cambridge Analytica literally, they spent four years going, we are data magicians. Yeah. And then about, about three or four months ago, they went, Actually, no, we're just doing what everyone else does. No, we, we, we are not unique in any way. But Cambridge Analytica are <laughs> dumb fucks. Like, they are fantastically, uh, cinematically dumb fucks. My favorite thing that has come out of this, favorite single thing, was Cambridge Analytica being secretly recorded saying what we do to win elections is we secretly record people and use those recordings against them Cute. and that recording was used against them and please, it's just like please just tell me about the secret recordings you use while not paying attention to my hat yeah. <laughs> Why wearing this brooch that is a lapel mic? Yeah, it's brilliant. What we do is we get people to speak into a lapel mic, and I'm I'm sorry. While you're saying that, could you just lean into the lapel mic and say, "Oh, oh, sure, yeah, absolutely." <laughs> Wait, like this, can you demonstrate with my lapel mic? <laughs> No, so just imagine I was secretly recording you. What would you say that would get you in trouble? Oh well, <laughs> well yeah, that's the thing. This is more of that. Uh, this is more of that thing where I was like, oh, Alexander Nix and whatever the great man theory of people who are evil geniuses. Yeah. I think it was more Wiley Coyote. It's just all of these people are Wiley Coyote. Yeah, I mean, none of when you get Alexander Nix and secretly record him, he doesn't really talk about data. What he talks about is tricking people into sleeping with sex workers, recording them, and then showing the video to them and going, hey, by the way, maybe you should do something different. That's that's not high tech. That's <laughs> Hey, easy. by the way, man, you fuck good. Oh, oh, sorry. Jokes like, on you because I love getting recorded when I have sex. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Can I Hell have yeah. a DVD Can I get a copy of that? Of that? With my skydive. <laughs> um, For me, the move... real scandal, though, was that the Leave campaign was it being illegally supplied by the Russians with broken pieces of drone. <laughs> <laughs> Call uh, back. Before we uh, switch on to dessert, uh, uh, Niall Ferguson. <laughs> before we, a, a delicious baked Ferguson. Uh, what do you, what do you think? Sort of Facebook is going to do, if anything. Like, is this going to change anything? Mm, I mean, Zuckerberg will testify in front of Congress, but I think that will probably be a positive because he's so unbelievably media trained these days that he goes on is robotic, uh, delivers some moderately okay lines. I think the what what this will do is it will kickstart. Um, like in Europe, it'll kickstart GDPR being taken seriously. That from 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 my job, that's the biggest thing that I've seen as an outcome is this big, important but ultimately boring data protection law that was coming in. Suddenly, people are asking questions about it and caring, and I think that's going to be the 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 follow through is just 
this boring world of regulation might get a little bit more uh, public attention. The problem is, and we won't go into it now, uh, GDPR will help Facebook, ultimately. GDPR will entrench their dominance and make it harder for another company to come in and disrupt them because almost always regulation is easier for a large company to deal with than a small one. It's a barrier to entry. It's a barrier to entry. And Facebook love damn barrier to entry. <laughs> anyway. What we really need to get people folks. interested in uh, data regulation is to have someone explaining data regulation while there are like babes either side waggling Nokia 3310s <laughs> at the camera. <laughs> <laughs> station gdpr um, vote now i like to think of facebook as like a 13 year old girl that's like just obsessed with you and knows everything about you <laughs> <laughs> opens up the binder yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> mr mark hearn 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 mark hearn so um Guys, let's uh, shall we close out with a little uh, a, a few words from our friend Niall Ferguson mm. from our sponsor. <laughs> a few words from our sponsor Niall Ferguson, who actually has a humiliation fetish. You say dessert, I think of this as I gotta eat my vegetables. I gotta I gotta deal with the current political discussion because it's healthy for me or something. <laughs> I mean, for me, it's all Huel. Colleague <laughs> <laughs> of mine has started drinking. No. Oh, no. Niall, Niall Ferguson writes, No, it wasn't April 1st it's, at 12.01 a.m., the moment it was first possible to start fooling. But but I don't is, think he was is fooling. This, uh, or maybe is this Niall Ferguson out. of the British Empire was good, comma, actually, yes. fame? Yes. yes. This, is Niall, this is Niall Ferguson of racism. What racism? Niall Ferguson of World War One was a great war. Yeah, great war. Not One the, of the great best. war. A great war. One of the best. Let's do it again. <laughs> World War One was basically like an aggrandized stag do. <laughs> Niall Ferguson, who who looks at uh, British India and only sees railways. White men are bad. Even a six-year-old tells me so. Writes Niall Ferguson as his promising. headline. This starts promising. Yeah. I'm into it. Yeah. He's fine. Yeah. Damascene conversion. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I'll, I'll begin the article. It is not very fashionable to be a man these days, especially a white one. True. Wearing bootcut jeans. After the exposure of Harvey Weinstein's record of alleged sexual assault and harassment, the New York Times ran a piece entitled The Unexamined Brutality of the Male Libido by Canadian writer Stephen Marsh. Again. Solid. Yes, uh, that seems this pretty... Is a good, this is a good beginning for now. So said. far, pretty reasonable. I've, like, I've had fantasies about my father coming to me with those exact words. <laughs> like, yeah, it's... <laughs> It's, this is what I always love about the every time we read these articles, we always start with them actually making a pretty good the Oxford point. English Dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> Another recent headline from the Washington Post was masculinity, not ideology, drives extremist groups. True. Also, Woke okay. Bay. Woke Bay. <laughs> yeah. Also wow. quite reasonable. Like 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 a lot of like think about how like like people getting red pilled online and becoming alt right. Like they started through like Gamergate and PUA <laughs> forums and stuff. I, I clicked on too many cows and now I'm in ISIS. <laughs> <laughs> the Milo Edwards story. Um, so <laughs> red pilled so, by cow clicker. <laughs> so here's where Niall Ferguson's article takes a small turn. Um, last month I organized a small invitation only conference of historians. Um, who I knew shared my interest in trying to apply historical knowledge to contemporary policy problems. Again, usually when he does this, it's to be a, an apologist for genocide, this, but no matter. Is this what he calls a Nazi sex orgy? Was Max <laughs> Mosley involved? <laughs> Five of the people I invited to give papers were women, but none was able to attend. I should have tried harder to find other female speakers, no doubt, but my failure to do so elicited a disproportionately vitriolic response. Was it just like five Ayn Rand accounts? <laughs> five Ayn Rand fan accounts? <laughs> <laughs> Neither Ayn Rand quotes, Ayn Rand lover, Ayn Rand fan 12, or Ayn Rand fan 14 came. <laughs> I what tried. Gives? I tried. Tammy I hired a necromancer to try and bring back Ayn Rand from the dead. <laughs> I mean, I knew necromancy works because the free market wouldn't permit something that didn't work to be sold. Obviously. I also invited Hillary Benn, but it turns out he's actually a man. <laughs> <laughs> and and zombie Margaret Thatcher. I'm sorry, Margaret Thatcher's monster. Around a dozen <laughs> academics took to social media to call the conference Stanford Sausage Fest. Can we say around a dozen means it's less than 12? Right? He's definitely around. This is up. a piece about no one cares. A minibus full of people dunked on him. 
<laughs> and he's spun a times column from it. <laughs> I like the idea of that this has like completely overshadowed the real Stanford Sausage Fest, which was a sort of innocuous Bavarian food festival that was going on at the same time. <laughs> they were applying the, they were applying the policy problems that we found in Bavarian beer halls. <laughs> <laughs> our, our festival completely passed the Bechtel test, but now we've been the victim of this bad publicity. <laughs> <laughs> I had many babe station babes to sell sausages. <laughs> when he's doing a classic trick, which is he's saying, you know, it's well, uh, I uh, the ones who could make it and who were right for the right for the conference just happened to be white and male. Couldn't imagine how that happened. Who boy, well, this coincidence just keeps cropping up, huh? I love that, like, even by his own extremely favorable telling, he massively disproportionately weighted the invitation list, like. Five of, was it 42 men who turned up around that? I don't actually know how many men turned up. Was like, that how many? It, yeah, no, it was a huge, there were <laughs> oh, a lot of people. This, you know, this is not, it was a four person panel and I asked eight people and uh, four men and four women. I mean, that's and all a the worse proportion yes. than Trash Future. <laughs> <laughs> but that's yeah, saying like, He invited at least 40 men and five women. That's from the off that's it. yeah so he Cree was trying to start his own leftist podcast <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so well here is Look, we invited lots of women just none of them came <laughs> here's the yeah that's... they were there they just didn't come <laughs> <laughs> all of his all of his historians were in Canada <laughs> they go to another school you wouldn't know them <laughs> we actually met our female guests on holiday so <laughs> <laughs> Now, let's be clear, as I recently and rather vehemently explained to novelist Will Self, which I find myself doing all the time, <laughs> I was raised to believe in the you equal just rights. phone up Will Self <laughs> with complaints. <laughs> I was raised to believe in the equal Will, rights. Of Will is like, please, it's 3 a.m. No, you're going to listen to this, Will. <laughs> novelist Will Self. I am, but a novelist. No, if you're not going to listen no, to me, I'm going to call you Will Niall, Selfish. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. I did such a double take when you started reading that quote. I was like, Riley, you did what? <laughs> <laughs> I was, I, uh, as I rather recently and vehemently explained to novelist Will Self, I was There's raised no to believe. There's no need to be so vehement. I was raised to believe in the equal rights of all people, regardless of sex, race, creed, or any other difference. That the human past was characterized by discrimination of many kinds is not news to me. However, hideous newspeak, uh, or well, terms such as whitesplaining and mansplaining are symptoms of the degeneration of humanities in the modern university. It's a university culture war argument, people. Woo! That's what it turned out to be. Oh. oh, that's the great thing about this article. It's like a medley of all the like terrible conservative shit that you get. Where it starts out making a decent point, then it sort of tries to do so, use so, use some kind of fudged numbers to disguise that, you know, he just fucked up royally from the beginning. Then he evokes Orwell, and then he's and then he says that actually, uh, it's the humanities in the modern university uh, are degenerating because we're making claims based on sex and race. Honestly, it's like conservative the worst conversation that I've like have I would say like once a week <laughs> rather with, vehemently with Will Self <laughs> as I call Will Self in the middle of the night uh, no it's trash no, future he, he calls me on my Nokia as I'm <laughs> well, at work Will but, Self waggling his 3310 at the camera <laughs> self cool no <laughs> uh, but it's it's this like it's this um, uh, it, like it starts with sure I believe in gender equality but then feminism has gone too far, hasn't it? And I'm like, this people who like, they fake try to meet you halfway mm -hmm. is the worst possible thing. And it's like, we how could we have possibly gone too far if we like still have FGM and don't have safe access to abortion? We're not even halfway. Like, how could we possibly have gone too far? So this idea of that he's talking about these things that like, oh, well, no, 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 we've gotten out of hand. I love, you know, uh, did you ever hear those edits of the audiobook version of Dreams from My Father? Uh, which were just shitloads of the times when Obama was quoting his school friends and the uh, radical activists who he knew, uh, quoting them, dropping racial slurs, swearing a lot. There are some lovely edits, which are just Barack Obama dropping racial slurs left, right and center, swearing a lot, just cutting all of the bits where he's quoting other people. <laughs> really can't wait to do that with Riley, where right. just like excerpting the bits where Riley is saying Niall Ferguson's hey, words. I'm just imagining a version though. of Barack Obama's autobiography where it just sounds like Gran Torino. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> All right, dragon lady. No, I'm like I'm willing to drop this, and I understand yeah. the point that you're making, but I also don't know if I can like let people get away with that. By yeah, no, that's that, like oh, yeah. I roundabout say this is okay. I never said this, this thing, is the thing. That, is, that is a big part of it. It's a rhetorical okay. trick. It's right. a rhetorical it, trick. It is, but it's, but it's also, also something where if if he has always said no, I always was on record as saying genocide is bad, but the British Empire was good. He could sue us. <laughs> For saying he defends. I mean, genocide. honestly, the follower boost from that worth it. <laughs> also, I'm gonna say, pretty much anyone you've ever discussed on Trash Future could probably sue you <laughs> if they listen to the episode. You are skating on the ice of we hope our subjects never listen to oh, us. Oh no, they will never listen because there's at least one woman on at all time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, here's not Ferguson says. Is speaking up against this kind of thing. I can't remember what this kind of thing was. I think it was something about Pumbaa. <laughs> but speaking up, speaking up against. Um, against people who are being overly PC or whatever mm-hmm. uh, is a risky business. Uh, questioning the new orthodoxy on the identity of the sexes can get you fired. Just ask another conservative uh, article klaxon, James Damore, Wee. the extremely rational Ooh. logic pedant engineer who lost his job at, as, at Google for doing just that. Uh, well, yeah, it's, it's what, I, what I sort of noted and what Alex and we were talking about earlier before we started the show is that this is basically the someone who has accepted a super liberal version of identity politics, mm-hmm. right? Where it's just where it's not be- where you don't see the power, you don't see the power relationships between these groups. You don't see that like white men have traditionally controlled more or less everything. You just sort of internalize the idea that it's bad to actively discriminate based on race. Or it at is least racist to discuss race. It is sexist to discuss sex. Exactly. Yeah. And that's that's now Ferguson's fallback. Like, oh, I don't see race, so you're the real racist. I I I didn't even know that there were no women there until you pointed it out. <laughs> sexist. <laughs> this is the great thing. It's, it's this, the stubble, Milo. It's the stubble. This, this is where this <laughs> is where the article gets just great, which is that this is the final klaxon of conservative article writing recently the process of indoctrination because that's what people are being indoctrinated to like just try try to understand power relationships through history the process of indoctrination starts early my six-year-old son stunned his parents presumably one of them was not Ferguson. <laughs> the other day when we asked six-year-old what boy stuns his parents at 30 seconds you'll cry my six-year-old son stunned his parents the other day when we asked what he had been studying at school he replied they had been finding out about the life of Martin Luther King Jr. What did you learn? I asked. That most white people are bad, he replied. Sick! Boom, 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 boom! In the context <laughs> of that lesson, that seems like strictly true. Yeah. I cannot imagine you can learn about Martin Luther King and not come out going, shit, yeah, yep, nope, nope, most white people are bad. Uh, but then it's uh, Niall Ferguson just says, well, the point, as I tried to explain to him, is that quite a lot of people of skin colors are bad, but probably not a majority. Most people of all skin colors want to be good, but they are in various ways weak. And a few people of all skin colors are brave. So race doesn't matter. Race doesn't actually, matter. race only mattered. Race mattered from like the late. 18th century till 1974 then it was gone the really important thing to take away from a lesson about martin luther king is that race doesn't matter like that if if your son comes out of a lesson about martin luther king talking about race then your teachers have failed because clearly you know that's not the lesson you should draw what like wait his response to white people are bad he'd be like oh black people could be bad too right like is that it that's how, horrible. How does he not work that back to the beginning of that paragraph and see that what he's written is my teacher, sh- my son's teacher should have taught Martin Luther King without reference to race. Like that's the paragraph no that point, he has written. At no point did they cover that Martin Luther King was black. <laughs> <laughs> right? Martin Luther King Jr., about whom we know very little. <laughs> does, does he practice a sort of live writing where he's not allowed to reread the beginning of a paragraph when he writes the end of it? Never refer back. I can't remember how I went into this, but by God, I'm going to get out of it. <laughs> and so that's just it, right. And so he, if if you're not going to accept that, like that, you're talking about because you know what it is. It's that these people, I don't think, I think they don't see structures. I think they look at a house and they're just like, ah, oh, what a pile of bricks. What a co- a pile of bricks. What a coincidence it fell into this shape. Huh? Guess I can never know why. <laughs> right? It's like they don't see any of yeah. this stuff. They they see like, oh well, it looks like what a coincidence. All the best people for this for this conference were white men. Even the nine percent of the invitees who were female that we invited when they didn't want to show up. Oh well, I guess that's nothing. That just must be down to individual choice. Oh well, anyway, off to another day of not recognizing myself in the mirror. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, he says basically masculinity is also under attack as well. You know, referring back up to all that Harvey Weinstein stuff at the beginning. He says, yet manliness has its uses. Just over a week ago, a 44-year-old French policeman named um, Lieutenant Colonel Ar- Arnaud Beltram uh, basically took the place of a hostage in a French supermarket mm-hmm. shooting. Um, and what I again, th- and, and then was himself uh, killed. And what I sort of, it, it, what it, it, it shocks me that Niall Ferguson doesn't see, is he doesn't see that couldn't masculinity have been why... <laughs> the other half of that shooting. Yeah. Couldn't masculinity be at the root of why someone got radicalized in the first place? Yeah. Well, and also, why is that? Why is that manliness? He's disagreeing with his own previous fucking premise, which is that like people of all races and genders can be both good or bad, irrespective of their race, which is true. But then he's saying that like, well, this man only did that because he was a man, because that's bravery, which is man. Yeah, it's it's like not this is why i think like this is one of the re- like all like public intellectual i can't wait until that's no longer a job um and i can't wait preferably in- just after i get that job and then retire from that job i mean you know <laughs> absolutely up for pulling the ladder up behind me oh no you got if you listen you listen to uh used to my uh commie book club uh on the on the book psychopolitics which i really enjoyed i said i don't i don't want to be a public intellectual i want to be a public idiot <laughs> that's, that's that's the only is the that's the only thing i think that there is left to yeah, do I was, I was gonna say riley how many more followers do you have to get on twitter before your intellectualness goes public and you have to ipo <laughs> <laughs> follow me on twitter sarben's oxley has really strict rules for when <laughs> when you aren't a public intellectual <laughs> i'm gonna do um, some insider trading on riley stock all right um alex thank you very much thanks for, for having on. me back olga thank you for coming on milo Thank you for phoning in. Uh, it's been a pleasure. In more ways than one. Listener, thank you for listening. <laughs> and uh, Thank you so much. You I, didn't have to, to do Zoom that. user, come on. <laughs> yeah, Zoom user, we still want you to come on unless you're uh, Julian Assange. What I bet it well, was. If you're listening on tape, Julian, uh, please just leave the building. We all love you. Well, you'll be able to know if he doesn't download it. If, you know, if the Zoom user disappears, it's Julian Assange because he's been true. cut off the internet. Any yeah. similarity uh, to characters real or fictional is completely... Coincidental. <laughs> no libel has been done. In this no libel. No libel. <laughs> no libel. Uh, Hashtag no libel. In our comedy show. Uh, anyway, uh, and also thank you to Ginseng for our theme song. Here we go. You can find it on Spotify. I recommend you do. It's very, very good. Later, everybody. Later, everybody.